Hello everyone, welcome back to the Deep Learning Crowd podcast. On episode 7 we are joined by Louisa Boynhas. Louisa is the co-founder of Yoma, a company which plans to build and operate an innovative satellite-based observation system for space debris using artificial intelligence. Louisa has achieved an incredible academic career in aerospace engineering, achieving her a PhD, and now has entered the world of business with two other co-founders. Through the power of machine learning and computer vision, they aim to pioneer automation in space and improve the knowledge and predictability of space traffic. Vioma's approach of hiring effectively is intrigued me the most and how they plan to follow a flat hierarchy and also deliver an employee first business model. We get to know their story in great depth. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast just like I did. It's good to have you amongst the crowd. I'm very good. Thank you. Happy to talk to you today. I'm excited about uh, participating in this podcast. So I'm glad for the invitation. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm very excited to actually let our listeners hear a bit about what you've been doing in the industry. So space is a very, very interesting subject to me personally. I can't say I'm smart in terms of uh, academically switched on about it, but it is one of the most fascinating areas of interest of mine because there is so much to do with space that your mind can't comprehend. So I've now had the opportunity to speak with someone who's actually set up a business involving the world of space. So I'm super curious. I'm super open-minded to hear how and why you've got into this industry, um, which I think our listeners would be quite keen to also enjoy some of your knowledge. So for the listeners, they obviously probably don't know who you are. So just give me a quick overview of what you do. Right. So at the moment, I'm a co-founder and space systems engineer at Vioma. I have a background in aerospace engineering and mission design. And I think that's pretty much it in, in a nutshell. So how did you get to where you are now? So I know you've got your PhD. So tell me a bit about the academic journey to where you are now. Right. Um, so I started with a bachelor and master's uh, degree in aerospace engineering. I did my master's at um, TU Delft, um, spent a bit of time in the U.S. doing a research internship at MIT and eventually came back to Delft, so in the Netherlands. And I applied after my studies, after my master's for a position here in Munich, actually another space startup. Um, that had a, a sort of a, a space branch. And eventually the, the project on this other space startup, which I have to say it was not mine, of course, this project ended and I switched to academia. So I, I went to the University of the German Federal Armed Forces or Bundeswehr University, as they call it here. And that's where I did my, my PhD. And um, luckily throughout my, my doctoral degree, I had the opportunity to, to travel to conferences and through mutual contact, contacts and through these conferences, I met my my co-founders and eventually we 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 came together when we we decided to to found Vioma. So that's pretty much, let's say, the how how things happened. Yeah, in a very short summarized way. Yeah. You made that sound quite easy. I'm sure it wasn't that whole journey as to where you got now. <laughs> <laughs> so your PhD, just can you give me an overview of like the subject though, like what you're mainly studying? Absolutely. So I specialized in mission design and optimization of maneuvers for formations of spacecraft. So, for instance, if you think of a fleet of satellites that need to operate together in deep space. Um, so my my part of this uh, this research was really 
um, optimizing how the mission should look like on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, optimizing the, the maneuvers that the spacecraft had to carry out first during the observation tasks that the, this uh, spacecraft fleet had to pursue. On the other hand, the reconfiguration of the formation, collision avoidance maneuvers in case there was a collision detected during the operational parts of the mission. Yes, and this happened actually in the frame of DLR mission studies, so feasibility mission studies from, from the German Aerospace Center or DLR. So it was it was a really a really amazing opportunity to start tackling some some of the challenges for future space missions and yeah a lot of this work actually got carried out as well to my current work here at Vioma yeah where we're doing the developments of our own space um, program let's say okay very very uh, interesting and I like how it's transitioned and that you're actually able to use your PhD to your advantage in your business of your own. So you touched on your your role, uh, well, your title at Vioma, but what specifically is your role whilst being there? So at Vioma, I lead the developments of our space program. So pretty much the design of our satellite mission that we intend to launch uh, at the end of, of next year. So this means overseeing all the activities that take place in terms of simulation of, of maneuvers that we have to, to carry out, keeping track of costs and schedules and, and budgets. Um, so there's a lot of project management, actually, that that goes into that. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much my role at the mm. company. So we've just to give you some some perspective, we've carried out already phase zero, phase A of our satellite mission, conducted kind of technical reviews that were milestones in the development of these satellites. So I, I have kind of this more more high level role of overseeing the, the development of the satellite mission. Cool. So let's paint a bit of a picture then. So Vioma, what does this actually mean? Well, Vioma, as a name itself, um, there's there's a funny uh, story behind it. So Vioma in Sanskrit means space, whereas in in ancient Greek, uh, Vioma means experience. Even though you would not uh, spell it out exactly like this, but the way you would say it, it's it's quite similar. So altogether, Vioma actually putting these two meanings together, it means experience in space. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You have sort of briefly touched on it, but your role. But let's hear a little bit. What is Vioma's purpose? Like, what what are you trying to do with this business? Right. So we know that space is becoming increasingly congested. You know, with with satellites and therefore debris objects. So we're reaching a point where uh, our orbital environment is really, really becoming very crowded and really hard to to navigate in. And what Vioma aims to achieve is to deploy a constellation of satellites for tracking these space debris objects. And these space-based observations allows us to increase the confidence in the predictions that we make in terms of where these debris objects are, where they will be in the in the near future. And we can do that with a very high accuracy by observing them from space in comparison, for instance, of um, solutions that happened until so far, which are ground-based. And in turn, with this improved data, so by observing from space, because we get higher um, accuracy of the observations, we have more confidence in the predictions that we make. We can offer robust automated satellite operations. So, for for example, automated collision avoidance services, so collision avoidance between two satellites, between satellites and debris objects, etc. So, we sort of build um, operational services on the data that we generate. 
Okay, cool. And you founded this business about a year and a half ago, from my knowledge. So how's the first year and a half been? And like, where is your business at, at the moment? What stage is it at? Right. So it's been it's been a very uh, busy year and a half, I would say. We've got a, some milestones that we checked off our list. We are in the, the go-to-market stage at the moment. So we've, we've started uh, becoming operational recently with a couple of services that we've deployed. And so we are we are as much as possible trying to to get out uh, to customers, uh, talking to uh, people in our network, making ourselves visible in the ecosystem, in the, in the space ecosystem. And yeah, and I have to say that because our satellites are not yet deployed, we are also working on developing partnerships with uh, companies that own ground-based sensors in order that uh, in order to provide the services that that uh, we provide first with external third-party data before fusing our own data once we start becoming operational on, on the satellite side. Okay, cool. So your main products at the moment, so you you have product and you have services, is that right? So you've got both. That is correct. So we have data products and these are, for example, predictions of where uh, debris are, improvements of orbits, etc., um, and we have services which are um, operational services to, for example, satellite operators. And these are, for example, the assessment of conjunctions, so assessment of close approaches between two satellites, between satellites and objects, from where we generate, are able to generate um, collision warnings, for instance. We intend in the future to support also the optimization of collision avoidance maneuvers. So this is something that we will be rolling out in the future. And another very interesting service that we offer is actually what we call uh, on-demand tracking. So users can very simply log into our web platform and actually retrieve an observation from any objects that they want um, in an existing catalog. So you're always three clicks away from an observation that you, you want to you log into our web platform and you check the network of sensors that we support. You choose one, you want to observe a certain object, you just click on it and you will be able to retrieve the observation of this object as soon as the, the object passes overhead over the sensor that we that you reserved. Cool. Now, every business either needs to be making money or raising money. So where are you at in terms of like funding investments? How are you still operating so we currently have a couple of customers that have been onboarded. And at the same time, last year, we've closed the pre-seed and seed rounds, which we actually used to start um, the production of our space cameras. So this was this was a very important milestone that, that we closed last year. We have just opened our Series A financing round, and we will be using these new funds for the launch of the two pilot satellites on the one hand and on the other hand by by growing our team. Um, so maybe this is something that I haven't mentioned yet, but uh, we, we started out with uh, you know the three founders and we are currently a team of 13 people. So this is part of the, the things that kept us busy in the last year and a half, certainly was trying to get the right talent uh, into the company. Um, and this is something that we will continue to do. So as we close, let's say this, this current financing rounds that we're in yeah so i think you mentioned it before so 
we probably will we'll come on to this but yeah your product at the moment is your you know a lot of your stuff is gathered from external data but in the foreseeable over the next year or so you said that you will look to actually launch cameras into space so that's going to be an incredible milestone for once you achieve that so what are you what has been your milestones so far at vioma right i think Crucially, the, the pre-seed and seed financing rounds were, were important. I would also mention that we did get uh, public funding at the beginning once we first conceived Vioma, let's say. So this was the, the, the achieving, let's say, a public grant for us was, was also quite important and quite, a, quite an enabler of being able to stand on our two feet for, for the first year of operations. Another milestone that we could uh, take off was the production, uh, the, the kickstarting of the production of our optical cameras that we fly in our satellites. So this was a very exciting moment where you could actually, you know, touch the first sensor that uh, we're going to launch. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I cannot tell you how, how happy we were to have this device on our hands. Yeah, we won a couple of awards as well in competitions such as uh, Weconomy or the first prize in a German New Space Award. Um, a little bit further back, so we got in 2020, we received a Galileo Masters Award, so we're extremely proud of that. Yeah, other milestones. I mean, as a former academic, I have to say that two technical papers that we published last year in international conferences were valuable, and it's always a big plus for gaining some credibility in our solution um, within within the ecosystem. So we closed the first customers, we started building our partnerships, and even though the, the year just started, we look forward to what 2022 brings. Yeah, it all sounds very exciting. And what you've done so far is pretty incredible. And I actually look forward to watching you grow as a company. So on the topic of growth, what are sort of your plans as well, both internally and externally? Like uh, internally, you're about 13 people. So what, what are your growth plans at the moment? Right. So our growth plans are, first of all, to keep expanding our team with additional software developers, uh, machine learning engineers, mission designers, procurement and quality assurance managers. So this is something clearly in the pipeline for, for the coming months. We will keep expanding our services portfolio. So, for instance, um, deploying a maneuver, a maneuver optimization feature in our web platform where operators could simply um, select which maneuver they would like to conduct in case a collision is detected. Yeah, we will have uh, technical reviews of our satellite mission uh, in the coming months as well. So we have what we call a PDR and a CDR, so a preliminary design review and a critical design review that shall be concluded, let's say, up until the, the third quarter of this year in order to keep us on track to launch our satellites at the end of 2023. So I would say Altogether, the hiring, uh, the services portfolio expansion, and these uh, review milestones are are definitely the next big steps that we will take place uh, within the company. Let's say on the internal side, on the external side, clearly we want to to get as many customers uh, as we can, and we're looking hard on on this as well. We've recently hired a very good marketing manager, so she's also um, supporting us in this very big endeavor. Incredible. Okay. So when I actually first spoke with you a couple of weeks ago, the one thing I liked about your business is that quite quickly, you let me know that you are an employee first focused business. Now, this is quite rare. Not, I'm not saying that companies don't follow this, but the fact that you actually have that in your mindset is a really good trait. So tell me a bit about this employee first part. I, I really like this. 
Right. Um, so I think we we decided to go this way. I mean, this was more or less kind of an organic decision from the founders. We we don't want to be a top down sort of company. We we really want to give a platform uh, and to have a culture where people feel comfortable speaking up, contributing to to their ideas, and as kind of as a natural consequence, we we want to people to participate in the vision that we want. So this was kind of a natural decision that was implemented in in the culture of the company. Us being academics, you know, we 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 like to do our, uh, you know, we have our own ideas. We like to do our uh, pursue our our habits. This was the reason why this arose naturally within within the team. Cool. And when you hire as a company as a founder when you're conducting these interviews and meeting with people, everyone knows that technical is like one of the key skills. So obviously you need to make sure that the people you're hiring are technically capable. Otherwise you're not going to propel in the industry that you're in, especially the complexity of the work that you do. So when hiring though, on the flip side, like what, do you, what sort of people do you typically look for? I think that's a great question. So other than obviously the, the, the technical fit, uh, we really look for proactive People, people that have experience in immersing themselves in dynamic and fast-paced environments, people who have lived abroad and speak different languages, actually. So we are currently a multinational team of 13 people uh, from 10 different countries. So exposure to different cultures for us is is very important. And um, our employees are, at the end of the day, let's say, the, the secret sauce to success. And we think that people chemistry should not be underestimated. I would say as a final note uh, that we also value people that look at sustainability the same way that we do and do want to make a change in, in their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about when we discussed initially as well is that you, like like you said, like with your employee first focus, that it means you kind of implement a flat hierarchy. So everyone feels quite at, at the same level. There's no like large reporting structure which first of all slows down processes massively how has this been quite beneficial for you to keep with this uh, flat hierarchy model well we think that there is value in allowing people to contribute actively in in the ideas that are generated in in the products that we want uh, let's say to to develop let's say and one part of it is kind of acknowledging that you as a founder do not have all the answers to all of the questions let's say and it's good when people think out of the box and come up with ideas that that help make you improve your your product and your your practices in, inside the company so let's say this is let's say the primary reason and this is also the primary reason why we hire experts in the, in the first place because they are experts and they do have a vision they have an opinion and yeah we are open-minded about these new inputs we think that as part of this let's say aspect is also to let employees feel connected um, to the idea so there's this kind of uh, byproduct that arises naturally from giving the people the opportunity to, to contribute and there's this plasticity, let's say, in, in young companies that allow, you know, to to mold the solutions that are being developed. And I think employees appreciate being heard and appreciate us taking into consideration what they have to say so we can, you know, improve operational activities, products, etc. So the feedback of our peers, we, we think, is extremely important because mm. it, it's really uh, an inside out kind of development, I would say. Yeah. So when I work with um, some companies and I'm hiring headhunting, for example, some of the major pain points for candidates as to why they're looking to leave is because 
they lose their voice. Uh, that's the best way I put it. I like to use that term, losing your voice, because when they maybe join, maybe they're a bit smaller, they, their ideas are heard, it's implemented quite well, and they're able to, you know, push forward what they want, or what they believe is the right answer. Now, it's very easy for a business as they grow to divert away from this because look, the bigger you get, you do need leaders. Let's be honest, it's, you can't shy away from that. But it sounds like you're trying to attack it quite differently, but you know it is easy to divert off. So how do you plan to keep this sort of structure of allowing your employees to keep a voice? Right. I think that's a very fair point, and it's definitely hard to, to keep this up as the team grows. On the one hand, I don't think we will we will necessarily stop listening to what our employees have to say just because we grow. We might just um, indeed split ourselves perhaps into smaller teams and let's say smaller think tanks or, or smaller thinking groups, etc. And having them participate, let's say, in their own developments, you know, from from the bottom up. I think we will not we will not be uh, a company that you know a classical company that it's top down. Uh, one of the things that we have at the moment is we have our employees involved in in designing the the OKRs, so kind of the objectives and key results framework. And the way that this may uh, happen in the future is that they will just be perhaps designed and implemented by by smaller teams instead of having this whole company uh, involved in in the drafting of of milestones. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. Um... I really like that that you follow that model and I do believe you'll be able to keep it up. And the fact that you're able to think of ideas to maybe put yourself in teams and let those teams grow and uh, naturally in terms of like sharing ideas and stuff like that. Because that's because when maybe you're all one big company, that's where the chain of communication starts to shut down slightly. So if you actually like the thinking bubbles, what did you call it? Thinking groups. Thinking groups. Yeah, that's well, it's it's a simple but understandable term. Okay, so. Look, we've got to understand your maybe the HR side, the hiring side, the the employee side. Let's talk a bit about the technicals, um, which I know some of our guests would be quite keen to just to hear a little bit about what kind of AI that you're using to imp- that's implemented in your space related business. So, yeah, what what AI are you? What kind of AI are you using at the moment? Um, so at the moment we are working majorly on on computer vision. Um, so we know that we have to capture, let's say, a huge amount of images by our spacecraft that need to be processed in near real time, on the one hand to, to detect, and on the other hand to, to track space debris objects that are um, illuminated by the sun, and they, we use then a star background, uh, a dark star background to, to calibrate our, our measurements. And this, this problem actually shares many similarities with, uh, for instance, autonomous driving. And so similar machine learning approaches can be used for, for instance, segmentation of objects, object detection and object tracking, um, and this has significant advantages over traditional image processing approaches on the one hand, in terms of um, computation efficiency, as also, um, you know, the accuracy of, um, of the measurements and the calibrations that we, that we pursue. I would say that apart from this, I mean, this, this brings in itself because it's a kind of a, a debris observation from space is rather a niche application, I would say. And this comes, of course, with, with a set of, of particular challenges. So, for example, the ability to, to distinguish between objects and stars in the background, which, depending on the observation mode, can actually look quite similar in the images, or being able to, to differentiate between 
um, let's say, or being able to to screen, let's say, a portion of the image uh, that we take against a known catalog of objects. So these are very niche applications, and they will require eventually more specific solutions uh, that are not yet explored with other AI applications. And we're really working, we're working on this at the moment. Mm. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the tech stack you work with, whether it's the libraries or frameworks and even the languages that you guys are working with. Right. We're working uh, primarily on frameworks that consider, let's say, the specific properties and limitations of uh, embedded soft software, let's say. Part of our image processing pipeline is actually meant to run on board of our satellites. Um, so we use frameworks like, like, like PyTorch Lightning or TensorFlow Lite. Um, that provides uh, the tools, let's say, to, to tackle issues like quantization and even constraints, uh, the size of deep neural networks uh, in order to avoid, let's say, uh, over overdrive of the, the processing on board um, of the spacecraft because there's only so much computer power available on board of, of a spacecraft. Yeah, and then there, there are other tool chains like uh, OpenVINO Open, Open from Intel or Vivado from, from Shilinx that allows us to migrate the models that we train or the models generated by embedded frameworks to be deployed uh, in, the, in the hardware. Um, hardware such as FPGAs or system on chip um, with dedicated tensor uh, processing units, let's say. And I think your last point was on the programming languages, right? So we yeah. we use um, we use typically Python, let's say, as a main programming language, both for training of our deep learning models and for defining computer vision chains. And we use other languages, of course, for hardware integration, such as uh, C++ and VHDL. Cool. Okay. And has your tech evolved since, or has it changed much since you first began with Yoma? Or has it like evolved much? Or have you just been using the same sort of one? Right. I, I think we are still quite at an early stage. So it has been slowly evolving. We are, we are currently now at the, the prototyping phase. Uh, we will start actually a formal ground qualification soon. So after the summer, we, we tend to, to test some of the algorithms that we've developed in, in the OPSAT, and OPSAT is actually a real satellite that it, that belongs to the European Space Agency, and um, it's made available, let's say, to, to industry in order to test and validate uh, space technologies. So I think some of these algorithms and some of these methods that, that we're employing right now, they will keep evolving for sure, and hopefully we will get to test them after the summer. Cool. And uh, like you said, they are evolving, et cetera. So it kind of leads to my next question. But uh, where do you see your tech heading in the future? Well, I let's say tech in itself is a very broad term in terms <laughs> of image processing. There's so much uh, there's so much that will come after come afterwards other than just the, the segmentation and the identification of objects. We really want to have robust cataloging capacities in place in order to to have a machine learning, um, let's say, operate based operational suite. On the one hand, I think that satellite computing power will keep evolving at the same time. So we do think that our our tech will evolve with with the hardware that will keep being um, developed. So at the moment, we're really just scratching the surface of what processing power can mm. can unleash in space, and this will keep evolving in the future, and we we'll, we will keep evolving with it. 
If you're talking about, let's say, the the tech in terms of the mission developments, I mean, this is something that, uh, so we do intend to launch two pilot satellites next year, and hopefully we'll use the lessons learned from there uh, for the second generation of satellites that will come after that, so in, in 2025. Um, so both on the, you know, developing all the software that, that is needed to be uploaded on board of the spacecraft, but also really doing uh, the refinement of mission trades that will have to, to take place um, and, you know, taking into account everything that we've learned from the first generation of satellites and carry this on into the future. Okay, cool. Now, you've been very successful so far by the sounds of things with your funding, with the growth of the business so far, the methods of employee, how you want to treat your employees. The systems sound like they're really fresh, young, and, uh, you know, it's the right way of moving with a business, especially in this era. But every business has challenges. So do you have many restrictions with the industry that you're in or like, have you faced any problems just as in general? So I would say that perhaps the the first point would be, uh, let's say, bureaucracy that we have to learn to navigate at the beginning. So learning about, you know, notary appointments and, uh, you know, all all of these inception bureaucratic activities that take place at the beginning before you are able to to become uh, an incorporated company. Specifically on the space side, uh, one of the things that needs to be mentioned is that space has been traditionally dominated by, by very big names such as ESA, NASA, or even Boeing. And space is a relatively conservative industry. So we have these really long cycles in terms of of mission planning, specifically scientific missions. Um, So, of course, as a newcomer, um, which is, you know, less than than two years old, we had to prove ourselves. We did did that, let's say, by taking part in several international projects, fostering collaborations, doing um, active research uh, together in order to gain a bit of Credibility. With respect to launching satellites, I would say there, there are two big things that, that need to be considered, especially if you want to launch a satellite nowadays. So the first one is the fact that you need to, to make very early on an application to the International Telecommunications Union, which is the union that manages frequency bands and, let's say, um, stipulates which frequency bands you can use for communications between the ground stations and the satellites. And the second one is the debris mitigation deadline uh, guidelines that we will have to adhere to. So meaning that we will clean up after ourselves. Once our satellites reach their end of their lifetime, uh, we need to take them out of orbit. So we need to make sure that they safely re-enter the atmosphere and that they don't uh, hit anyone once they burn up in the atmosphere, etc. So we are really trying to only use uh, reputable suppliers in this sense, um, using, let's say, satellite materials that we know that can withstand uh, hazardous space radiation. We will know that these materials will probably not break apart while they're in space, but they will break apart once once they re-enter the atmosphere because that's the safest way of, of disposing of, of a satellite. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. So let's um let's talk a bit about entrepreneurship because I'm also a co-founder. Yours, I would say, is probably a lot more uh, complex than what I do, but it does take a certain person to be an entrepreneur because you do have to make those sacrifices. You know, you're not going to be earning a you know a comfortable salary anymore you know there's there's a lot of risk behind becoming an entrepreneur so i believe it takes a lot a lot in the mindset so let me ask you this first of all so why did you want to become an entrepreneur 
Um, that's that's a really funny question, actually. So I I never thought I would become one, actually. So <laughs> if you had asked me this question five years ago, I would have maybe giggled. But the funny thing is that um, I was in academia before, and you, you realize that being in academia, there's only so much that you can learn, and there's there's things that you can learn as an entrepreneur that you don't learn anywhere else. Um, so, for example, how to put an organization together, how to lead a team, how to negotiate, etc. So it was more or less coming to this realization and um, also being sure that I had the right team of people to go through this um, endeavor with me. So I, I think, you know, I cannot imagine being a co-founder with anyone else other than, than Christoph or, or Stefan. Um, so we know that um, we we fit really well together and you have a passion for challenges and our visions uh, for the future, they align really well. Um, so we we decided really to take the step forward and and make make this a reality. And I think so far we we really love the freedom um, that comes with it. So being our own bosses in in a way. Shout out Christoph and Stefan then. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people. Sometimes people don't think they're going to be an entrepreneur until they meet someone. And then that's when the ideas start sparking, the backgrounds align. Sometimes you don't even have to be business minded and the other person is, but you have the technical that you the technical capabilities and you combine the two and then all of a sudden you've got this engine which just works. And everyone has a different point of view, but you, as long as you're able to come together with agreements, that's, I think, what's quite key. So it sounds like um, what was good for you is that you met the right people. What would you say has been the biggest change in your life since becoming a founder, though? So I would say that the biggest change is getting used to the fast-paced uh, environment that we, that we live in every day and the steep learning curves. So we, we really had to, to learn you know, step up and, and learn a lot of things on the fly and on the go. So I think this this has been a big, a big change. And I would say that I, I can speak uh, on behalf of my co-founders and myself when I think, when I say that uh, another change was setting up an alarm clock very early every morning <laughs> because before we were just PhD students and we could control more or less the, the time that we had. So for sure, that has been a big change so far as well. No, yeah, I, I for sure agree with the fast paced environment and you have to learn to do everything. You're not just a space systems engineer anymore. You're founding, you're leading, you're everything. Uh, you have to learn everything on the job, which is normally the challenge, but also the excitement. So I can relate to you on that front for sure. So how did you sort of get into this sort of uh, rhythm of things though, like to get this business moving, everyone, like for example, I have mentors as well. So do you have any like mentorships or anything that you follow to help you be better at what you do? Absolutely, actually. So fortunately, we went through um, two incubation programs that really helped us in in getting us up on our feet, uh, let's say. So the first one was uh, what we call the ESABIC, or the Business Incubation Center of the European Space Agency. And the second one was Expreneurs, uh, which we just finished last year. And these programs really supported us in, in validating, you know, our market assumptions in navigating, you know, negotiation, negotiation meetings with, with investors, etc. So, for example, with, with Expreneurs, even we, we had kind of weekly or bi-weekly check up points to check on our progress. So this really, you know, keeps you on your toes and makes you want to push forward with your developments. So these were all crucial pieces that uh, fitted together in, in the developments. And I, I do recommend, let's say, co-founders um, to to join an incubation program because there's there's tremendous value in it. You learn so much and it goes beyond the learning by doing, you know, you, you really 
listen to to what experts have to say and they really ask you the the, the tough questions that you need to prepare to answer but these are all questions that that help you you know improve uh, bit by bit so this this has been uh, these two incubation programs that they were immensely helpful and, and a great experience mm. so like one of the reasons why we got mentors is because there's only so much you can learn at the top in your in your organization uh, until it gets like your learning has stopped learning in terms of like obviously you can still learn about people because that's what you'd be dealing with day to day but to actually grow i would always recommend a mentor even if you are doing extremely well and very successful there is always someone else who knows a little bit more than you who can help you and guide you that little bit further to be a better person uh, a better person better business person but ever better whatever you want to call it you could be a men- you can have a mentor absolutely on yeah, absolutely. And I would say that as a founder, uh, you will make mistakes. And this is what the mentors are are there for, you know, to, to give you guidance and to, to make you, you know, think out of the box and uh, to maybe sometimes you get really stuck into into the little details and they are, you know, on the on the higher level. So they, they push you back up, let's say, to, to give you a bird's eye perspective of what mm. is really going on. So it's really crucial to have these people uh, included in, in your business. So the business has been around for a year and a half now. You've learned a lot. You've probably grown incredible amounts as a human, as a person, and as a leader. Can you give any advice to any younger or future entrepreneurs who want to do what you're doing? Have you got any tips for them? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, first of all, don't be afraid to to take the leap. You know, you don't want to spend the rest of your life wondering what would have happened if you had taken, you know, that turn at that intersection of, of your life. So absolutely do it. And if you've already decided that you would like to go ahead, my next piece of advice would be to take advantage of, of great resources that are available out there, especially in Europe and, and in Germany. So financial resources in terms of public grants, mentoring and coaching from experts from incubation programs like we, we discussed before, for instance, etc. And um yeah, if if depending on how far you are in your let's say in your journey, I would say my my next piece of advice would be uh, to always get your customers involved because they have more feedback to give you than than you think. So validating your assumptions um, with the customers this is something that it's very important. And perhaps on on a final note, uh, I would say that as a founder, you spend a lot of time doing things that are not necessarily uh, technical work. Um, so the implementation of your vision, this will ultimately be done by, by or your employees. So there's a lot of organizational uh, administrative uh, strategic developments that take a lot of your time. So be prepared to delegate important technical work uh, very early on in your journey. The one bit of advice you gave there, feedback, that hits with me a little bit as well, because I think uh, I follow this a lot. Even when I have unsuccessful moments in my career, I always try to get feedback. I actually asked for feedback today. There was a client I wanted to get on board. It didn't end up happening. I asked for feedback as to why, and they gave me some you know, constructive criticism as to how I, I could do better in the future. And I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. So feedback is key, whether it's from your employees, whether it's from mentors, whether it's from your customers, whether it's from anyone even your partner can probably give you some feedback about maybe your emotions of how to handle stuff i don't know um but feedback is key i like that 
And uh, I will definitely take that away and always use that forever, really, because it's always one way of improving yourself. But Louisa, it's been a really fun journey with you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge, your business and uh, your experiences so far of being the co-founder of Vioma. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed our chat. For, for, so thank you for that. Thank you so much, Riz. It's been a wonderful pleasure to be interviewed by you and to talking to you. And I, I'm really glad that we got this opportunity. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you.